Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. It's good to be here. Um, I've been out of town for a little while, and it's great to be back because I'm, I'm back to where I was. I was in Southern Africa. It was the dead of winter, and... Um, most mornings we were getting up was around 40 degrees, and so I was looking forward. I kept getting all these texts. Apparently it was a little warm here while we were gone. I don't know. I kept seeing things as like 105 degrees, something like that, but I love that. I'm like completely a summer guy. I love summer, and I love being back. Yesterday, uh, Tana and I went out for lunch, and this is one of the things I love about summer. I thought this was gone, but we're going down the street, and one of our neighbor's uh, children had a lemonade stand and I haven't seen a lemonade stand in years and so we stopped and you know the kid fleeced us for I don't know how much money <laughs> it was great but it was so sweet because he was so thankful he was he was just really really thankful and we found out his mom came down and she said thank you guys for stopping he was just about to pack it in he hasn't had anybody all day and it was just it was just a a really sweet moment with um, a lot of gratitude from his part, and, and it did um, a gratitude intervention in me, you know. It just taught me a little bit about thing, being thankful, and I think we just launched last week a new series called Gratitude Intervention, and uh, Lauren did a, did a great job. I think Doug Crew will be preaching next week, and he's going to do a great job as well. But we based the whole thing around this scripture out of 1 Thessalonians. And it goes a little something like this. Uh, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to get into is that first, first little bit of that, just the part that says rejoice always. We're going to break this down over the coming weeks, but my part this morning is just get into uh, rejoice always. I have a lot to rejoice about and be thankful for. The reason I was away was um, I got to go with my son on a mission trip to Southern Africa. That was really awesome. It was a great trip. We went to Zambia and uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa. We went in through London. One of the best ways to fight off jet lag is to go and do a little exercise. So we were out walking around and walking through Kensington Park and we stumbled across this. I think we have a picture. It's a rather sizable monument. This is to Prince Albert. Um, and just hold the Prince Albert in a can jokes if you're old enough to remember those, <laughs> okay? But this sizable monument is to Prince Albert. And I thought it was really interesting. If you don't know who he was, he was Queen Victoria's husband. He died in 1861 uh, from typhoid. And if you look around the top of this, there are actually eight mini statues that they um, built to commemorate Albert's life. And they are to uh, the, the Christian and theological virtues, faith, hope, charity, humility, fortitude, prudence, justice, and temperance. And I thought, man, they must have really thought a lot of this guy. But there you can see the, uh, 
the writing. And this actually was built by the people of England to show the gratitude. It says, um, a tribute of their gratitude for everything that Albert has done. And I thought, man, they must have really loved this guy. I looked it up. This would cost today $20 million. That's a sizable monument that people from, from England just gave money to back in the uh, late 1800s. And I think, you know, the way we show gratitude, the way we rejoice in people and, and how they live their life is just such a, I don't know, it happens on all sorts of scales. On that end of the scale with this immense showing of, of gratitude and rejoicing over um, Albert and what he did, and by the way, he made great com contributions to the arts and music and things like that, and that's why people were grateful to him. But on the other end of the scale, I found this quote, which is, <clears throat> be content with what you have, rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. And that's from Lao Tzu. And so that's the other end of the gratitude scale, huh? In other words, one end says, man, we're really happy. We're really rejoicing in everything that we have. We're going to build this huge monument to a guy. And the other end says, well, we're going to be happy for what we don't have. And so this morning, I kind of titled this, this message um, after two, I don't know, theological heroes of mine. But Ren and Stempy used to have a <laughs> happy, happy, joy, joy. So we're going to get into some reasons we can have happy, happy, and joy, joy. So let's pray. Lord, I, we just need your presence desperately this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, come. And as we were just singing, just revive us, Lord. Bring us into, into your presence. Show us your heart of gratitude this morning. Open up wells of joy within us, Lord. Let let my words be your words. Holy Spirit, come, use my mouth. Um, give me the gift of teaching this morning so that uh, people can hear of your glory and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul writes in here, rejoice always. This is the Apostle Paul that wrote this uh, letter to the church in Thessalonica. And this is not by far the only place that he's written this. He writes it in at least uh, three other places. In Romans 12, 12, he writes a similar version. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In a letter to the church in Philippi, in um, chapter 4, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again, rejoice. And then he goes on to say, pray unceasingly and don't, be anxious about anything. In Colossians uh, chapter 4, he says this, Devote your prayer yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So all the same message throughout. Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And these were all letters to churches, different faith communities. And I started to wonder why Paul would say the same thing to so many different churches? Is he just repeating himself or is he, he on to something there? And I think it's because he's trying to communicate a message to each one of these faith communities. In other words, you've gathered 
You found Jesus. Your lives have changed. And so let me give you some instruction. Let me give you some idea of how it should go from here on out. Because something has to hold your community together. If you think about it, do you ever wonder what holds the church together? What holds our faith community together? And whether it's, you know, Little C Vineyard Church here in Myrtle Beach, or it's Big C, the, the universal church, what's the glue that holds this thing together? What keeps us connected to each other? Why do we gather here on Sunday mornings and during the week in each other's homes? What, what is this thing? Because if you really think about it, the church is this kind of weird community. We don't have any natural kinship to each other, okay? Many of us are nothing like the rest of us sitting in here this morning. We have very different life stories. We come from very different backgrounds. Um, some of us don't look very much like any of the rest of us. And what holds that together? What, why, does, why does that work? We really only have one thing in common, right? And I think if we were starting a baseball team, this would not be a great way to start. <laughs> you got to have some glue to hold the team together. You got to have a common purpose. And so this is what Paul is trying to say and what he's trying to get out there. You need these three things. If you're going to speak the language of this faith community, you're going to have to learn a few grammar rules right off the bat. One of those grammar rules is not that uh, pronouns come before verbs. It is that we rejoice always. We rejoice always. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of, if that's the what, then I want to go into the why. The why we can rejoice always. And you know, if, if you haven't made the leap and, and come into a community of faith, you're still not sure this morning, then just sit back, relax, and listen. Because I want you to see some of the things that our community is known for. Some of the things that, that we talk about with each other and some of the things that kind of unite us in, in a purpose. And the first thing is this. The one thing that we all have in common is that we're human. And so we need to look at the root of why we can rejoice. And that's your first fill-in, the root. Paul wrote another letter to a church. It was the book of Romans. Now, the first four chapters of the book of Romans, he talks about the idea that there's three kinds of people in the world. Okay? There's moral people, immoral people, and religious people. And he says, no matter which kind of person you are, that there's no way to have relationship. None of those things are going to lead to relationship and fellowship with, with God. And so if you're an immoral person, you just fail to recognize that God even exists. You don't see him in nature. You don't see him in the way he works in other people. And you don't really care much about how you treat other people. And Paul says, that's, that's not going to get you into relationship with God. He still loves you, but it's not going to get you into relationship with him. The second kind of person is the moral person. And this person says, well, you know, 
maybe there's God up there. It doesn't matter. But I'm a really good person. I do good things. I'm nice to other people. I give to charity. Um, I serve other people in different ways. And Paul says that's, that's really not going to get you there either. The third kind of person, he says, are the religious people. And religious people have decided that, well, if immorality won't get me there, and morality, if being good won't get me there, then I'll construct some sort of um, a number of beliefs that I can follow, rules that I think that as long as I check these boxes and satisfy these rules, I can get them into relationship with God. I think of it kind of like as trying to build a ladder to get up to God. And each one of the rungs is a different rule you have to follow. This is what we as the church see throughout the entire Old Testament. This is the law. These are, these are ways that God has prescribed. If, if you do this, then that will happen. And Paul says, you know, it turns out that that doesn't work either. Because in chapter 3, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that many of us have heard the gospel message over and over and over. But the root of the reason that we can rejoice, the purpose, the whole reason we're able to gather here and worship is because of what Paul starts Romans chapter 5 with. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because of anything we did, any way we acted, any sort of beliefs that we've held. God loves us, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. And because of that, the good news is great news because the bad news was really bad news. We were dead. Outside of relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we're dead. Spiritually and eventually physically, that'll be it. Go in the ground, food for worms. That is great reason for hope and rejoicing. And when we have great reason for hope and rejoicing, I think it should cause our lives to look a little differently. It should cause our lives to change in a little bit. And this is your second fill-in. Your second fill-in is reach. The early Christian church was known for a lot of things. And before we had evangelism programs and outreach programs and organized things to go into the community, the church counted on people's lives looking different enough that it would attract other people. You know, the first couple of hundred years of the last century were a pretty rough time to be around. I mean, the world was an ugly, rough, brutal place. And a lot more pagans and uh, just really interesting <laughs> religions that indulged in things like infant sacrifice. Um, even sacrificing young women. Temples where people would go to worship and worship meant having sex. It was a really crazy world to live in. And what the church relied on was having their life change when they met Jesus Christ mean something. Constantine, many of you know the name. He was a Roman emperor 
uh, in the late third, early fourth century, they still practiced something called enforced conscription, which means whether you wanted to serve in the army or not, you served in the army. And so because there weren't enough people in Rome, the Roman government would send ships out to other countries to collect people. One of those countries was Egypt. And they went and they would round up these prisoners and bring them back to work throughout the Roman Empire. And on the way back, these uh, people would be treated like prisoners. They would be held captive in the ship and then, you know, they would get across the Mediterranean and, and have to sit in a port until they were distributed by the government. And while they were sitting in that port, um, they would literally be locked up. And a jail in the third century was not like, you know, even jail now. You didn't get food, you didn't get water, and forget basic medical care. You were just stuck in some place so you couldn't get out and get anywhere else. And I found a story of one young man, his name is Pachomius, and he was dropped off in a prison in Thebes, which is in Greece, not far from the, the church where Paul wrote this letter to. And while he was there, there were groups of people that would come into the prison and bring food and water and basic medical attention. And he could not understand why this group of people would ever do such a thing. They, they appeared to have fairly scarce resources themselves, and yet here they were going into a prison whom... For all they know, these people in the prison have committed crimes, they've killed someone, they owe someone a whole bunch of money because they've stolen or something like that, and giving them food, water, and basic medical care. And so Pachomius says, find somebody, and he says, who are these people? Why, why do they do this? And the answer he gets is this. He says they're Christians, merciful to everyone, including strangers. Merciful to everyone, including strangers. They didn't go in saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, and when I'm done, I'll give you some food. They didn't go into the prison and say, if you want water, you're going to have to begin following Jesus first. They did this purely out of the fact that meeting Jesus Christ, having a relationship with God the Father, changed the way they did life. I can't help but read that phrase, merciful to everyone, and look at the context of some of the things that are going on in the news today and in our world and see that merciful means when you are kind and withhold punishment from someone even though they deserve it. Even when they deserve it, we still treat them like human beings. Merciful to everyone, including strangers. In the Greek, you can substitute the word foreigners for strangers right there. Pachomius gets this answer, and when he's finally put off the ship, he immediately goes and finds a Christian church and becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes a disciple. And what we have from those simple acts of kindness is Pachomius is known as the father of monastic tradition. In other words, monasteries now exist around the world because Pachomius' life was changed by a group of people who were nothing more than kind to him. And he went back and started communities 
that existed for nothing else but to serve people. And that continue to this day. We, we know of a lot of, of monasteries still existing in the world. Um, some of them are famous for making some really good beer. Not a bad thing. Henry Chadwick wrote about um, the practice of the early church, saying the practical application of charity was probably the most single cause of Christian success. Living out a changed life, living out a changed life is attractive to other people. Following Jesus causes other people to ask, why would you do that? And, you know, the stunning thing is that right now, in the United States especially, if you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it really isn't going to cost you all that much. It's probably going to cost you a, a, a weekend morning, you know, maybe a couple hours, maybe a couple hours um, during the week or something. But you're probably not going to be shunned by your family. People at work may make fun of you a little bit, but you're not going to be truly persecuted and, and threatened with death. Your husband isn't probably going to leave you. Some of the things that, that were common among the time people were, were uh, beginning to join the church, Christianity costs you something then. And yet, people still would choose to join the church. And when we choose to join and to serve, I think our third fill-in is this. We have to release our gifts. You were made a particular way by God. You have a talent, a skill, a love, a passion that God himself put inside you in order to use to serve other people. It's a beautiful thing. You may not know what it is right now, but I guarantee it's in there. How many of you have seen like any of the Marvel movies? I, I think we watched one or two or something yesterday, I don't know, Winter Soldier, Civil War. And, and it struck me that what the, what the draw to these movies is, is each one of the superheroes has this unique gift, right? You know, one is an incredible archer, one is um, incredibly good with technology. I think in one of the movies, guy, you know, can set himself on fire. I don't know, or is that the one with the mutant people? I can't keep these, my wife likes them, okay? But I think that's the draw, is we naturally know that each one of us has something that makes us special, that we each have some sort of a superpower of, of our own, and God put that in you so that you can use it. You can use it to serve him. First Peter says this, chapter 4, he says, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. Put it to use. I am watching some friends of mine who are going to revolutionize the city of Myrtle Beach because they have an idea for business. And they're going to go and establish as people with changed lives not to go down and preach the gospel, but to be the gospel in the city of Myrtle Beach. There are other people in this room who have and will run for political office. 
not so they can go and preach the gospel through a microphone, but so their changed life, the way that they have views and a worldview now can change the world around them for the better. I'm watching some people who, despite having means to do much, much differently with their lives, have chosen to move into an inner city neighborhood just a few blocks from here so that they can be a light in the presence of a lot of darkness and be the gospel to people. You've been given a gift by God to use. Put it to work. Put it to work for him. When we do that, it, the, the book says that's where our rejoicing comes from. Jesus talks about to the woman at the well, I have water that will cause an overflow inside you, a wellspring. See, that well is meant to gush out of you and get on other people. Your changed life is meant to come out of you and get on other people. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. So this morning, we're going to take communion together. And I think, I, I think we have two, two things we can respond to, to this message with this morning. There's, there's two ways. And the first is, as you come to the table, if you haven't met Jesus Christ yet, if, if you don't know what this source of joy and rejoicing is all about, you have a wonderful chance this morning to do that, to say, this, this sounds good to me. The second way we can do this is you say, Jesus, I want to rejoice in what you did, not just on the cross, not just with the message of the good news that I can have an eternal life through you. I don't want to rejoice in how you've made me. I want to rejoice in how you've wired me right here, right now in your presence, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.